Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to another edition of Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes football and recruiting podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. David Lake joined, as always, by Gabby Urrutia, and uh, we are here to kind of discuss roster management, share kind of what we know about maybe some coaching buzz in terms of Mario Cristobal building out his staff. Um and like I said, discuss some some recent additions to the roster and, and we will break down maybe some potential additions that Miami might be exploring or should explore. So it's the off season. I think the transfer portal has made it even more fun than it normally is in terms of talent acquisition. And I think now that we are through the early signing period, we will start to see more and more smoke with... Uh, staff additions for Mario Cristobal. But before we get into that topic, I think we should revisit Friday, Gabby. Um, You know, last day of the early signing period, Miami, uh, Miami went out with a bang, landing top 100 tight end Jaleel Skinner from Alabama. It was definitely a situation where Alabama wanted Jaleel Skinner. It wasn't like they were, quote unquote, dropping him like our Florida State friends slash fans would lead you to believe. Uh, This was a straight-up recruiting battle win for Mario Cristobal. Um, And so, yeah, now that I know you did an instant reaction with Chris, um, that was on YouTube and on this podcast feed. But now that that dust has kind of settled here, Gabby, uh, do you have any new thoughts or or – or tidbits on just how big that that recruiting win was. What, what's your biggest takeaway from that now that we're a few days removed? Yeah, I mean, just a few days removed from that, I think it really just sort of instilled confidence in, in Coral Gables. I think that there's people in the building now that really believe that Mario Cristobal can go head-to-head with Alabama, with Nick Saban, uh, you know, with a lot of these top guys and these top programs. And and, and win a recruiting battle. I mean, this is, uh, it's like sort of like the reverse of what we've seen for so long, especially down here in South Florida of just Alabama and these major programs coming in and, you know, poaching the top talent from down here. This was a situation where Miami was able to go national and, you know, recruit a big time talent that Alabama wanted. And again, had committed, right. expected to sign and sort of flipped into Miami. And this is two weeks into a coaching tenure. This is two weeks into Mario Cristobal's career at Miami. So I think it's a really positive sign about when you just consider the future and what this recruiting operation is going to look like moving forward. What Mario Cristobal just did less than 14 days into his Miami coaching tenure is massive. And I think that that is just, again, a little bit, just a little taste of what we're going to see from him the rest of the way. 
I spoke to someone in Coral Gables today that's still like a part of the, again, the operation of everything that's going on. And they believe that they're going to try to go out. And their goal right now is to, is to sign basically a top five, top three class year in and year out. And uh, they believe that with Mario Cristobal and the way that he works right now, that, you know, that's something that they're going to strive for. So again, this is a major, major recruiting win for, for Miami. This is just huge for the program. Again, just considering where he was committed to. And uh, again, I think that I said this, uh, you know, on the site during the official visit weekend, but I do think that there are programs out there that do not want to see Miami get their, their stuff together. And uh, I think this is proof of why, because this is the potential and this is the sort of chaos that they can create, uh, you know, in recruiting uh, if people start to buy in on the program. And to that point, you know, coming out of this uh, second official visit that Jaleel Skinner took to Miami leading up to the early signing period, um, that was kind of the buzz around him and his family that they believed that with Mario Cristobal now at Miami, uh, things were going to change. Things were going to take off, right? Not only is Mario Cristobal a proven commodity at head coach, but the university as a whole is investing into the football program. And uh, they feel like things are going to take off and they wanted to be a part of that. They wanted to be on the front end of that uh, ascension into my, you know, with Miami being a part of the national picture in some way. Right. So um, credit to Stephen Field for keeping that line of communication open with Skinner and his family. Um, but make no mistake about it, right? This is about Mario Cristobal um, coming to Miami because Jaleel Skinner definitely would not have signed with Miami if Manny Diaz was still the head coach there, right? And uh, you, you touched about just what this means optically in terms of Miami going head-to-head with Alabama. I did a little nerdy deep dive into how rare it is for a team to flip a top 100 ranked player late in the cycle, right? Um, The last time they lost a top 100 player late in the cycle was back in December of 2018 when five-star Daxton Hill flipped from Alabama to Michigan on on the early signing day of the 2019 cycle. Also later in that cycle, Chris Bogle flipped from Alabama to Florida in the February National Signing Day. Um, In the 2018 class, Georgia flipped defensive lineman Quay Walker on the February National Signing Day. So uh, during the 2018 to 22 cycles, so that's five cycles, this has only happened now four times. And uh, so Miami is a part of that group. And uh, so that's programs like Georgia, Florida, and Michigan. And now you have to count Miami with flipping Skinner. I also went back and looked, Gabby, how many top 100 players Alabama signed, period, from 2018 to 2022 cycles. And it is a staggering 56 uh, top 100 players. So they, the point is, right, I mean, beyond that gaudy number of 56 top 100 players in, what, five cycles, uh, they, they've only lost four. So this, this is extremely rare. Again, top 100 late in the cycle. Certainly, like Miami back in the day flipped Christian Williams. 
you know, Christian Williams, I think was ranked in the top one fifties and I'm not necessarily sure Alabama really wanted him. Right. That was, that was kind of a situation where Alabama was dropping him. Um, but yeah. Did Mario did Mario Cristobal because Jason Jones is a guy I'm sure we'll talk about later. Yeah, he flipped from Alabama to Oregon, so I think this is probably the second time that Mario Cristobal's flipped. He did, uh, on Alabama. and I don't know the details of that one. Right, uh, like I don't know if Alabama dropped him or whatever. But yeah. yes, he flipped him on National Signing Day, and, and Jason Jones was a is a four star. He's not a top hundred player. He's like a borderline four star type. At you know back in his recruiting class rankings. Um, but yeah, this is a big sign, big deal. Um, you know, and, and I, I did look too, Gabby. So during those five years, Alabama signed 56 top 100 players. Miami signed 14 during that same stretch. And in this, so this 2022 cycle during the early signing period that just wrapped up, Alabama signed 14 top 100 players alone. So look, the point I'm trying to make is this is all about talent acquisition, right? Stack talent. Everyone knows I've been preaching that here since the podcast started. And uh, Miami now has a coach that understands that, that embraces that and attacks that objective. So uh, I do think the recruiting is going to go to another level and uh you know, that should lead to more consistent play on the field, more 10 win seasons on the field. Um, let's discuss real quickly here too. You know, Jaleel Skinner is a big, big, big time talent, right? What, what do we expect for him immediately? Cause I still think, I mean, look, depth chart, not necessarily super favorable to get on the field early with Will Mallory and Elijah Arroyo. Um, but also too, I do think Jaleel, you know, he, like, like most high school players, he's got to gain weight, add strength to his frame. So I think he might, my opinion, he might get on the field a little bit in 2022, but I kind of view him more as like a 2023 season impact guy. How do you view him? Yeah, I'm definitely on that same line of thinking. I'm interested to see what he's going to look like by August though, because he's going sure. to be at Miami eight months by then. He does have a really, he does have a frame that I, it looks like he can put weight up quickly. If uh, you know, he's in a college strength program, which he will be. So I'm definitely interested to see how he's going to look, but still, I think even like in terms of, you know, how, like just as a receiver, as a pass catcher, um, as a blocker, he's going to have to grow and all that stuff. So I still, I definitely view him as a, maybe more of a 2023 guy. But, um, I mean, we know, again, Will Mallory's sort of history with injuries sure. and stuff like that. I think he is a player or two away from potentially having to be a guy in this offense. And, again, I'm hoping that through these next eight or nine months or so before he actually needs to, act, to play or anything like that, hopefully he is more ready by then because I do think he needs to grow. I think he needs to get better. Um, just I watched him once against uh, American Heritage, and I don't think he's the finished product that maybe some think he right. is. But I mean, you you look three, four years down the road. I mean, you're you're projecting Jaleel Skinner in 2023, 2024. Like wow, like that is if, like I think that he could be really, really freaky. If you're ranking them, the three of them: Skinner, Mallory, Arroyo, based on just ceilings, right? Yeah. Who has the highest ceiling of those three, in your opinion? Rank I'm, them one through three. 
I would have to, I think Skinner would probably have the highest ceiling just because I think he's just the most physically gifted. I'd go Elijah Arroyo right after him. Probably not too far behind him either. I think Elijah Arroyo is potentially big time. I really like the way that, I mean, just the flashes that we saw from him. I put Mallory third in there. I wonder if you agree with this. I think Arroyo is probably always going to be more well-rounded than Skinner in terms of his blocking ability right. that he brings to the table now arroyo is is very impressive with a, as a receiver yards after catch guy as well but skinner is like he has like freaky all-time tight end type of potential yeah. as a receiver would you right. agree with that yeah as a as a pure receiving tight end yeah definitely so i looked at the the 24 7 sports profile for skinner and andrew ivins compared him to jared cook um which I think is a, is a fair comparison. Cook ran a 4.49 in the 40 during his NFL combine. He also had a 41-inch vertical. Um, I think, too, an easy kind of more recent comparison is Kyle Pitts. Um, I was looking up wingspans, right? Because if you just eyeball Jaleel Skinner, it is, like, noticeable that the guy has freaky, freaky long arms. Um, yeah. And so I, I tried to search for his, his most recent wingspan uh, measurement, and I found in 2020, um, so nearly two years ago, because I think it was like January of 2020, he measured in with an 83-inch wingspan. So six feet, 11 inches as a wingspan. He's, he's a six-foot-five guy. Has his wingspan grown even more since then? Maybe, maybe another inch or two. Um, but that number is massive because I looked up Kyle Pitts's wingspan um, at the NFL combine NFL draft process last year. Kyle Pitts measured in with an 83 and three eighths wingspan measurement. And that is reportedly the longest wingspan of any receiver or tight end in the NFL in the past 20 years. Right? So, Jaleel Skinner is already in that freak of freaks wingspan measurement. Calvin Johnson, right, who was Megatron back in the day, Detroit Lions, uh, he had an 82-inch wingspan. Uh, Darren Waller, who is kind of a freak tight end as well with his size and athleticism for the Raiders, he he measured in at an 80-and-a-half wingspan. Travis Kelsey, 80-inch wingspan. So – and again, Kyle Pitts, right? He's a freak as well. He ran a four 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 in the forty. So, uh, is Skinner going to be that fast? We'll see. He he has yeah. clocked a four five three in the forty at the high school level, and he has posted a thirty six inch vertical. So, these are like the athletic comps to Jaleel Skinner, right? And I think body type wise, in terms Which of is like insane. right? He's he's probably somewhere between. Jared Cook and Kyle Pitts, which puts you in that freaky category for a tight end. So uh, very cool that Mario Cristobal could, could land this guy, uh, Jaleel Skinner, here within a short amount of time. And, and like you alluded to, Gabby, it's a, it's a good sign for the future, both, I think, as they look to finish out this 2022 cycle and then looking forward to more to, to future cycles, 2023 and beyond. Um, that was not the only uh, talent that was acquired on Friday 
like an hour before Jaleel Skinner um, officially announced he was going to Miami, a transfer from USC, Jacob Lichtenstein, uh, announced he was going to transfer from USC to Miami. Uh, Jacob is a native of Weston, Florida, played for Cypress Bay. Um, so yeah, I'll let you take this, Gabby, because you kind of, you know, I you I wrote the article up, but you confirmed through Miami's, um, you know, recruiting people that this was indeed the case. What, what's the understanding you got from them about what they like about Jacob, et cetera? Yeah. I mean, again, definitely a guy that they're obviously, that they're obviously excited about in terms of just adding depth to the defensive line. Uh, you know, that's something that they're, that they need to bolster. I mean, you just hear Mario Cristobal talk and it's, I think it's obvious that, you know, they, they're going to attack the trenches that they're going to go get some these types of guys I mean, you just look at the body type, 6'6", 270. I mean, it seems like they need plenty more of those guys, or at least a few more of those guys. Uh, you know, he talked about more guys that could set the edge, things like that. Um, you know, I think this guy maybe, you know, could be a guy that comes in and competes for a starting job. You know, he's the guy that started a few games for for USC this past fall. Uh, you know, could be a guy here again. Miami's defensive line wasn't, you know, world-breaking as we've seen but in the past. You know, they had that streak of, you know, at least one guy with, with eight sacks, I think that was snapped this year. So I think that they're just looking to add bodies that they can rotate in. I think Lichtenstein is um, definitely a guy, you know, a South Florida guy. That's typically a way that the portal works where a lot of guys go back to the place where they're from. Uh, I think this is one of those situations that just worked out. And, you know, I'm sure Mario Cristobal ran into him a few times just playing in the Pac-12. So could be a guy that he's pretty familiar with as well. And, uh, you know, a guy that was pretty productive this year. I mean, you're talking about six tackles for loss and four sacks. He had a game against Colorado where he had two sacks. So, you know, he has the potential to, to change a game, you know, any given Saturday so or impact the game. Uh, so, I mean, pretty excited. Yeah. Pretty excited about him. And I think that Miami's really happy to add a, another large human being like that. Right. So he is – he played 550 defensive snaps for USC this 2021 season. Uh you know, doing research on him and his USC career, it seemed like he he had some injury um, nicks here and there during his career, which which limited him a lot uh, prior to this year. So he's it seems like he's finally getting healthy, putting those things behind him. Um, and, and I agree to your point. I think the main thing to take away with him is his size, six six two seventy. He's a guy that can play both inside and on the edge, on a defensive line. In 2021, this past year, he um, played 69% of his snaps on the inside for USC and 31% of his snaps on the outside. So uh, to me, that just means he's a guy that can bring some versatility to the defensive line, right? But depending on the situation, uh, on in those run situations, you probably put him on the outside, let him help set the edge. And I think on pass rushing or passing situations, you can kick them inside. And, uh, that's always advantageous with a guy, you know, six foot six, two seventy. generally speaking, Gabby, like college level offensive guards are not very good. They're not very athletic, generally speaking, and they have shorter arms. And so if you have a guy, a long guy like Lichtenstein, who can win both with his length, uh, 
you know, he can get his hands on a college guard way before a college guard can get his hands on him. That helps. Also, there's going to be that athletic difference with Lichtenstein going up against an, an, a guard rather than a tackle. So, you know, and, and we saw that happen with Greg Rousseau, right? I'm not saying Lichtenstein's right. going to be Greg Rousseau, but Greg Rousseau made his living at Miami beating up on college level interior offensive linemen, especially early on, right? Early on. And, and, and in that 2019 season, uh, when they kicked him inside on, on obvious passing situations, he destroyed college level guards and centers. Uh, So again, he's not going to be Greg Rousseau, but it's those type of one-on-one matchups that, that I think Lichtenstein could take advantage of when they do kick him inside. Um, and, and like you said, he's an older, older guy. He has what, two years. That's correct. Gabby. Yeah, I believe so. Cause I don't think the COVID year counted of course. And um, I think then he had a year before that I, I was told by Miami, he had two years or they thought right. he had two years. I think he got a medical for a medical redshirt for one of his seasons where he was hurt. Um, so two years, if he wants to do it at Miami for two years. Um, but yeah, in my opinion, Miami really, really needed to add two or three guys on the defensive line from a depth perspective, from a talent perspective. And so this is this is kind of the first domino to fall in that regard. I think um, one more thing just I want to yeah. add there, like just because I'm just thinking about and the things that Mario Cristobal started talking about. He talked a lot about cross training when, uh, right. you know, when he was doing, I think it was the, during the recruiting, the signing day press conference. This is one of those guys that fits that bill. He's a guy that right. you said, they would go inside can go outside. I, he talked about how, you know, valuable versatility is, you know, in this day of college football, just guys that are able to do multiple things well, where you can put them inside of them, you can kick them outside and you have that flexibility where you have a piece that can play both sides. So I think this is another thing that makes him really valuable and probably another reason why, uh, you know, people in core Gables are excited about him. Definitely. And, and yeah, I don't know if he's like going to be the starter, but even if he's not the starter, you know, putting a guy like that, that can give you 30 snaps a game or so 40 snaps a game or so it is definitely going to boost a defensive line during the course of a season, right? You, you need a defensive line because it's such a physical position to be, to have depth. Um, let's get out of here on this before we take a break, Gabby, um, two recruits that, you know, we're kind of waiting for on on in terms of like official announcements or decisions, uh, both top 100 guys that visited the final weekend before early signing period, wide receiver, Kevin Coleman out of the St. Louis area and edge rusher, Cyrus Moss out of the Las Vegas area. Both those guys, as far as we understand, from what we understand now, are planning to announce their college decisions at the All-American Bowl on January 8th, right? Um, So we're not going to find out anything officially until then. But still, Gabby, you you talk to a lot of people around the program and in recruiting circles in general. What would you say is the temperature of, of, you know, where Miami feels they stand with both those guys and, and maybe just the recruiting community in general, what they're thinking those guys might announce on January 8th. My bad. 
Um, it's interesting just because I think that there's people that are confident, um, you know, just sort of talking to people. And again, no one's saying anything of what's happening. So right. again, so, someone's holding Cyrus Moss's letter of intent right now. And, uh, you know, obviously that hasn't gotten out yet. That's the intention of this is for him to have his moment to be able to announce at the All-American game. Um, but, you know, it seems like people are confident. You know, I think people in Miami, uh, you know, again, seem optimistic about, you know, just again, just the state of their recruiting. And I don't know if the grounds of why they were so excited about everything is, you know, the fact that, you know, maybe they got Cyrus Moss or maybe they got Kevin Coleman or maybe they got both. I'm, I'm not sure exactly um, what it is that's going on, but I know Miami feels good about their efforts. They feel good about what they were able to do, uh, you know, just throughout both of those recruitments. Um, you know, getting them both on campus late was huge. And again, I think that there's, um, you know, there's optimism that, you know, may potentially both those guys could be, could be hurricanes again. I don't think that I'm not reporting that. I'm not saying that that's right. definitely happening. The temperature. I, yeah. I think that that is a, that's sort of the feel right now. They're in now. the mix. Yeah. Yeah. I think that they're in the, they're firmly in the mix. I don't, I don't feel like they're, they don't feel like they're out of anything. Um, and again, I think there's, I've, I've heard from a couple people that they feel pretty good about, you know, each of those situations individually, collectively, and um, we'll see what happens on, on January 8th. But, you know, I think that there's reason to feel at least optimistic right now, if you're a Miami fan, about recruiting in general because of just the way that these guys are working. Again, you point at the Jaleel Skinner thing. Uh, you point at Nigel e. Kelly. I mean, those are two top 100 talents that they're able to add there down the final stretch. I think people are excited about what they got going on there, and I think it's a it's a pretty easy sell for Miami right now to get people to sort of hop on board, given, you know, the excitement around the program right now. I feel like it's one of those, you know, trendy, trendy programs yeah. right now with, with Momentum. major guys sort of, yeah, they, they got the mo right now and uh, people are excited for sure. If, if I had to pin you down and say, you, f you feel better about one of Coleman or Moss, which one would you say you feel better about in terms of Miami landing? Yeah, I would probably say Kevin Coleman just because of the situation. Um, I mean, when you consider who else he's sort of looking at, I mean, Oregon just went through obviously their own their own head coaching change uh, with Mario Cristobal. But Mario Cristobal was the guy that they had a, that he had a really good relationship with, which is why he sort of pivoted to Miami. Uh, Florida State was another school that was holding the twenty four seven Sports Crystal Ball. But then Kenny, Kenny Dillingham, their offensive coordinator, left to Oregon. So I think that potentially writes off Florida State or just puts Florida State in a tougher spot and. But does that make Oregon sort of a factor again? But I also, you know, just talking to people, it feels like he is a bigger fan of the city of Miami than he is the city of Eugene. So um, sure. I don't know. I think Miami's in a pretty good spot there. Again, just reading the tea leaves, again, just sort of connecting dots and stuff like that. I'm not saying that that's definitely happening. But right, right, right. Just, uh, just your you know, sort of just my opinion on it. All right. So let's take a, a quick break. And uh, on the other side, we will discuss the transfer portal. And we will discuss some kind of coaching staff stuff. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? 
Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right. We are back. Gabby, transfer portal. Uh, Talent acquisition is now all about high school recruiting and transfer portal, especially this time of year, right? When guys can transfer and play immediately in between semesters, right? The fall and spring semesters. So uh, first let's start here, right? You, you um, crystal balled a talented, big time talent transfer uh, portal guy who has, who originates from South Florida. Tell us what we need to know about that. Yeah, I threw in my I threw in another crystal ball for for Frank Ladson. He's a wide receiver that played at the last three years at Clemson. Um, you know, played for a national title with the with the Tigers. Again, made another uh, college football playoff appearance. And this is a, a big time guy. Played at Miami South Dade. Was a top hundred talent in his class. And uh, you know, it seems like he just graduated from Clemson this past weekend. You know, he's already back home. He tweeted, you know, his location that he's in Miami. I think people in Coral Gables are pretty confident that he's going to end up joining them. So I think that would be a, a pretty big addition if that were to, you know, fully come together. Uh, you know, David, I know we've talked about on the podcast how many six foot two, uh, six foot two plus 200 plus pounders are there on this roster? I think we right. said that there was one in uh, Michael Redding. Uh, that's right. still the case. And Michael Redding hasn't necessarily played a ton either. So Frank Ladson gives you a guy that's played in big games checks off both of those boxes at six foot three, 205 pounds. Right. And, uh, you know, again, just gives you a big body and maybe not a Charleston Rambo type. I'm not expecting him to shatter Miami records, but I, I think he just gives you, I think he's a big red zone target, a guy that you could sort of, you know, throw the ball up to. And again, just gives you that sort of versatility that you need across the receiver room with a small shift. Your guys like the Rashard Smiths and the Jacoby Georges, and you have the Romello Brinsons and the Frank Ladsons. And I think it's a really good mix of guys. And then you have the, you know, right. the Keyshawn Smith type. So I think Ladson adds a, a lot to the room and, you know, just a veteran presence, a guy that's from here that, you know, I think could elevate again, the ceiling of the, the receiver. I agree. Right. I agree. And, uh, you know, I, so his best season at Clemson, I think was in 2020, he had 281 yards receiving in that season. I think he's kind of dealt with injuries during his Clemson career. Yeah. And that's, that's a reason why, he hasn't necessarily produced like we would have expected coming out of high school, coming out of high school. He was the number 39 overall player in the country, according to the composite ranking. So big time talent um, to me, you know, this is kind of before your time, Gabby. So I don't know how familiar you, you are with Latson as a player. Um, to me, he's kind of like a go route guy um, at six, three, two Oh five. You know, he, he can, I don't know if he's developed in this regard at Clemson, but at the high school level, you kind of hope to see him uh, improve at that point at 50-50 balls, you know, snatching the ball when it's thrown up to him one-on-one against a corner. Um, but certainly at 6-3-205, he can really, really run. Um, so you don't turn those kind of guys down. I am curious, though, your take, Gabby, 
Cause I kind of feel like, honestly, like I think, I mean, I think Frank Latz is going to play at Miami if he comes right. I don't think he's going to like sit the bench or anything. They're going to, they're going to have a rotation of receivers and he will be a part of that rotation. But if he is battling with Melo Brinson for a starting job, I kind of give the edge to Brinson. Honestly, I'm curious what your take on that would be. Yeah. And I think you just be encouraged that if it's even close, the younger guy is, is just sort of neck and neck with a guy like Ladson, who's clearly older and, you know, came from a, a major right. college football program, but you want to develop these guys. I think that that's sort of the hope. That's the intention with Mario Cristobal seems like that's sort of his plan. He wants to do that. And Romello Brinson is easily a guy that by, I, I feel like he, from when he first, when he got to Miami compared to like how he looked even mid season, I thought he was, he, he had already physically developed uh, yes. pretty nicely, honestly, pretty quickly. So I'm extremely interested to see what he looks like, you know, again, by, you know, early September or whenever it is that they kick off. I think Romello Brinson is a guy that could potentially take a huge step in this next year. I mean, remember, he's a, he was a true freshman that was not an early enrollee. And I feel like he still made a couple of plays. I think Romello Brinson has a, has a, you know, potentially has a higher ceiling in this offense than a guy like Frank Gladson. But again, it doesn't hurt to have the guys that'll push yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. I'm not I think Gladson, for sure, for sure. I think Gladson may, is, I think bringing in a guy like Gladson makes Romello Brinson better because it's going it's to ignite that competition. competition. And, and uh, I think Romello Brinson would probably come out on top of that. To me, I, I kind of view them as this, you know, if I'm describing them or looking at them in a big picture sense, Latson bigger body, stronger body, probably beats Brinson in a 40 yard race. But to me, Brinson's more of like a, he, he's just the better receiver. If that makes sense. I feel like he could change speeds better uh, with his route running. I think he catches the ball better uh, when he's covered one-on-one. Um, but yes, to your point, bringing in Latson hopefully pushes Brinson to reach that potential. Uh, that he has flashed uh, already in his UM career. Um, so the way we w- the way I want to do this uh, transfer portal talk, Gabby. You know, I, I asked you, and I I'm sure my names overlap as well. I asked you to pick out five players in the transfer portal that you think Miami should add, and these can be guys that we kind of already are seeing buzz or smoke on that Miami might add. Right. And that includes Marcus Banks, who you've already crystal balled to Miami. But I'm just curious, you know, basically this discussions about roster management, plugging the holes on the roster, where we think Miami should go in using the portal uh, by using names that are already in the portal. So I assume, I mean, I have Frank Ladson on my list. I assume you do as well. Yeah. So that's one guy. Uh, who else do you got? Let's, let's just, Who's the next guy you want to throw out there? Yeah, another name, a name I heard with Frank Ladson was Jared Verse, who's the the Albany transfer that's picking right. up a ton of steam in the in the transfer portal. Um, six foot four, two hundred forty seven pounds, thirteen and a half sacks, and was his conference's rookie of the year. You know, I think that this is a again, David. We're talking about we need guys on the defensive line, we need bodies, we need right. guys that can come off the edge. I mean, I think this is probably the top pass rusher in the transfer portal. I know Miami's on him. He's already taken four of his official visits, I believe. I think Syracuse, Houston, Florida State, and Tennessee have gotten him on campus already. Might only have one more to use before uh, January, but again, he was someone that was told to me alongside Ladson when it was just like, hey, who are, 
who are a couple names to sort of keep in mind, you know, as we move forward after right. this Lichtenstein uh, kid committed. So I think that, you know, maybe Miami feels pretty confident about where, the, how they, where they stand there. It would be interesting to see if they get him on campus, but that's a guy that I'm probably circling right now in terms of need, in terms of productivity and how he could potentially change that defensive line. He was on my list as well, right? And, and I think he's kind of viewed in the college football community right now as a guy that, again, he plays at Albany, right? So he's a guy that has immense physical tools, physical gifts, but still needs to be coached up and developed in terms of his technique and those things. So um, he's, a, I, he's a young guy too, you know, relatively speaking, I think he just finished his redshirt freshman season. You said he was rookie of the year, but uh, he is a redshirt freshman, not a true freshman. So he does have some years still in terms of college eligibility. And uh, yeah, I mean, look, I don't think Miami should go out and add necessarily random edge players, but a guy like Jared Verse, who has special tools, special gifts, I think they should try and go out and add that guy. Um, and yeah, I mean, he's, he's definitely an impact player as a edge rusher. He, you know, watching a little bit of his highlights that he puts out, right. Cause nobody really watches Albany. Um, but you could see the guy is special in terms of his, his size speed combination. There was a play. So I think they played against Syracuse this season. And there was a play, they have a very good running back. And there was a play where that Syracuse running back kind of broke out into the open field, was going downhill, scored a long touchdown. But there was one guy on the field who was hawking him down, and it was Jared Verse. And uh, the guy can run. So there's a lot of tools to work with there. And uh, I agree, he's a name to know. I know we're just kind of learning about his name, but I'm under the impression, Gabby, that maybe Tennessee and Florida State, you know, in terms of the schools he's visited, right. might be might be the top two. Are you under that same impression? Yeah, they could be. But I think since then, even like, you know, there's a lot of schools that are getting involved now. So I think okay. he's got to have to make some decisions here. I think he, I, I, was, I was just reading up on him on some of the articles that people have written about him on 24-7 Sports. I think originally Christmas was the timeline in terms of a commitment. I think it could be later into January now, just right. because I mean you're considering Oklahoma and uh, you know LSU, LSU Miami, yeah. yeah, a bunch of these schools have started to offer. So I think that uh, he's one of those guys that might need to take uh, a little bit more time to figure right. out what what he's going to do. So I think again, I think that's beneficial to Miami, especially if they're able to maybe secure that fifth and final official visit. I don't know if that's going to be the case, but it's I think there's a reason why you know. He's the name that they that they really like over there. So that's two for two of our five guys to know right now. Um, who who do you have next? Yeah, I guess we can go to Marcus Banks. He's a guy that you mentioned. Um, sure, cornerback, Alabama transfer out of the Houston, Texas area. I think Houston's a dark horse here. Uh, you know, the potential of going and playing back home again. I think that's been a, a theme. At times in the transfer portal, guys moving back clo closer to home. You saw Quinn Ewers moving from Ohio State to Texas. Again, Jacob Lichtenstein coming back to South Florida. Tyreek Stevenson back to South Florida. Um, you know, things like that. So, yeah, Frank Ladson probably coming back to South Florida. So, um, you know, I would watch out for Houston there. I think Mississippi State and uh, Maryland are a couple other schools that are involved. But 
again, I think that there's a couple, there, there is legitimate Miami buzz. And I know that he's a guy that Miami really likes and that they would like to add, you know, to potentially play alongside Tyreek Stevenson on the outside, uh, you know, should he come back to Miami, which I think that he will. Um, so I think that that's a big time name to know for Miami. I think he's a top available cornerback in the transfer portal as in not committed. So right. I think Mark, Marcus Banks would be a, a big time guy. Yeah. And, and it's worth saying Houston beyond the like, hometown factor which is significant they played very good defense this year and i think their their defensive coordinator doug belk is a you know has a cornerback background so i'm sure he can really sell himself in that regard they got results on the field this year as a big time defense at houston um so they would be an intriguing option for marcus banks um and yeah i agree miami needs to to land I would say, honestly, two corners. Um, but yeah, getting a guy like Marcus Banks, who was a four-star player at a high school, committed to Alabama, has been developed in that program. Just, uh, you know, Alabama recruits over everyone. And uh, he'd be a good addition for the secondary. He was on my list as well. Who else you got? Yeah, I got J- the next guy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go Jason Jones, who's the, you know, big defensive lineman, uh, Oregon transfer. Right. Uh, you know, I, Miami offered him, I exchanged DMs with him and he wasn't willing to do any formal interviews, but he did let me know that he's interested in Miami. Uh, this is a right. six foot six, uh, I think 320 pounder. Yep. Uh, again, just, we're talking about defensive line. We're talking about the trenches. I mean, I think this guy checks a ton of boxes. Uh, again, a guy that played under Mario Cristobal from the Southeast as an Alabama native. I think that's why some people think Auburn's in a good spot here. But, you know, I think Jason Jones is a guy to know in the transfer portal for sure. Yeah, I agree. He was on my list as well. For the same reasons you said, you know, I mean, look, Mario Cristobal wants to have his defensive line, his front seven on defense in general, look a certain way. And, uh, you know, the Manny Diaz era, they relied a lot on quickness. And, you know, a lot of times that, that would mean those guys were a little undersized, right? I don't think that's going to be the case during this Mario Cristobal era. I think he wants got, you know, prototypes, uh, you know, in terms of NFL looking defensive linemen, NFL looking linebackers and uh, Jason Jones, certainly a space eating defensive tackle that would improve the depth. I don't know. Again, I don't know if he'd be a starter, but he'd certainly be in the two deep. He'd certainly play a bunch of snaps at Miami. Uh, and putting him next to guys like Leonard Taylor, Jared Harrison Hunt, athletic interior guys is uh, interesting and fun to think about in terms of a fit at those tackle spots. Um, so the last one, right? The first four were kind of easy. Yeah. We, we overlapped on those. I'll say this for my fifth one. For me, it's, I, I couldn't find a guy specifically. Right. So I was just kind of like, um, you know, I think Miami, if there are young guys, whether they can start or not, but they're talented from South Florida, be willing to bring those guys in, right? Bring them home, especially if they're willing to, to kind of be depth guys, work their way up the depth chart in time. I always think Miami's got to be open to doing that. Um, you know, you never know, like, let's say, you know, there's, there's a cornerback at the university of Florida, whose name rhymes with 
Mason Jarshall, right? Um, <laughs> let's just say randomly he hits the portal. You know, they're, they're going through a coaching change. Uh, now he is a guy that would start right away at Miami. Um, but guys like that, right? You just never know. Um, and look, I'm not saying Jason Marshall is going to transfer to Miami. You know, Florida just landed Corey Raymond as their DB coach. So I, I certainly think that helps their case with keeping a Jason Marshall on their roster, but um, someone like a Jason Marshall, whoever that may be, just always have a spot open for a guy like that, whether he could start right away or he might start a year away. That's, that's my kind of thinking for that fifth spot. Yeah. I think that's smart. And I think that's something that they're open to because I mean, he was, when Mario Cristobal was talking about the transfer portal, he was talking about the spring and summer, like they might hold on to spots for, because you're going to see another wave after spring of right. you know how we've seen a ton of guys transfer. Now we're going to sort of see there's going to be guys that are going to play out the spring. And I don't think sort of this feel wave, out where they're at. I don't think this wave is finished either. It's not. It's it's definitely not. I think yeah. as you know, coaching staff start to round up and stuff, and you know, some of these new coaching staffs have to start making roster decisions. I do think that there's going to be a potential second wave of, of guys or just this first wave is just going to continue to grow. Right. And because uh, it's quieted down a little bit, like that first initial push was massive. Right. And now it's sort of settled in a little bit, but I think that there's another one that's potentially coming, but yeah, there's going to be another one in the spring, probably, you know, in the middle of spring when sort of the te- when they start to sort of see the depth charts start to pile in and things like that. And then even into summer, I could see guys moving around like that. We saw Jared Williams a couple years ago where he ended up being a summer edition and coming in and helping Miami. Uh, my fifth one, I just decided yeah. to have a little bit of fun with it, man. Um, I think it's a great opportunity to answer questions because I feel like I get the same question uh, you know, like five or six times a day. That's about linebacker Terrence <laughs> Lewis, uh, the Maryland transfer, right. uh, Miami Central, Miami Northwestern, Hollywood Shamanad Madonna product um, out of South Florida. So, um, you know, I again, he is someone that's obviously talented, was a five-star kid, uh, you know, in that 2021 class, tore his ACL when he went up to Maryland. Uh, I think he's recovered from that about now. I'm not sure if he played or maybe he played very little at Maryland. Um, but a lot of people are asking about, you know, is, is Miami going to bring him in? They obviously need the linebacker help. And I think as a talent, um, you know, I think that there's an argument, but I can say, I don't know how much mutual interest there is there. I'm not sure how Miami, how quickly Miami is willing to jump at the opportunity to bring him home. I think if they were, I think that probably would have been done. done by now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that would have been a quick decision. I think that would have, I think it just would have been a, a very swift transition from Maryland to Miami. I think that, uh, you know, the fact that it hasn't happened by now is is very telling for those sort of, you know, wondering about, you know, adding a potential linebacker like that in the portal. And yes, they need linebacker help. And I think linebacker is absolutely a spot where I could see them going and getting a guy. But I just don't believe it's going to be Terrence Lewis at that at this point. And that's not, again, I don't think it's, I'm not sure if it's a talent thing. I'm not sure if it's a fit thing. He had multiple opportunities to choose Miami out of high school. Again, we're only one year removed to that. And I get that might be a little, you know, different because Frank Ladson obviously had that same opportunity as have other guys like Tyreek Stevenson, but um, this was just literally a, a year ago. And, um, you know, there has been some ups and downs throughout that recruiting process that, you know, I think Miami's maybe not a hundred percent comfortable diving into that one head first. And, you know, maybe if they really need a guy and they want to, you know, roll the yeah. dice on him, I think he's someone that might be worth rolling the dice on because I think if he hits uh, that could be a potential big win for the program, because I do think that he's a, you know, there's a reason why he was ranked a five-star. I think that people think he's amongst the elite in terms of, you know, as an athlete, as a linebacker and what he could bring to the position. But, you know, there's 
the Mario Cristobal talked about it. There's the back, there's the background check stuff. You have to, you have to go back and look at a whole, a whole body of things when you're, when you're making these sort of decisions because they're impactful and you only have a certain amount of them that you can sort of take. So again, I, I don't expect Terrence Lewis to play at Miami. I don't, I'm not sure that that's going to happen. I'm not saying it will not happen, but at this point I find it pretty unlikely that, right. that Miami goes that route at linebacker. Who do you think, cause you watched them both in high school. Who do you think is a better prospect at the same stage, Terrence or Wesley Besaint? I mean, I, I even watching Central last year, I feel like Wesley was always the one that really stood out. You know, I feel like Wesley was always the one that, you know, again, just in terms of having I mean, physically, I think Wesley is probably a little bit bigger and longer. Um, yeah. I think Terrence is just more, has a lot of like that, you know, bulldog, like I'm going to rip your yeah. head off type of mentality. Like he's just sort of like a missile to the football type. Like I think a true, like maybe middle linebacker ish. Um, but Wesley, I think is more versatile. I think Wesley is, a, you know, probably more of the leader type, the guy that will sort of, you know, round up the troops on defense, the guy that's going to wear the, the C on his Jersey at one point. So, um, you know, in terms of fit, I think Wesley is probably better for Miami right now. Like in terms of just for Miami as a prospect, I definitely see the Terrence Lewis stuff. And see why he was, you know, ranked that high. But for Miami, I think Wesley probably checks a little bit more boxes. And if I'm, if I'm the defensive coordinator slash if I'm head coach Mario Cristobal, I'm viewing my two starting linebackers, right? Assuming it's going to be like a four-two-five style of defense, like we've been seeing here uh, recently, which kind of everyone here in college football runs nowadays. I'm expecting my two linebackers to be, for me, I'm, I'm saying Wesley Besaint, you're going to be the middle linebacker, even as a true freshman in 2022. And I am getting Chase Smith ready to be the starting weak side linebacker in 2022. Now, the depth still needs to be addressed. It needs to improve behind them. Uh, but to me, in terms of size, speed, instincts, potential, in January, that's my vision for my starting linebackers in September. And so it's it's time to get those two guys ready to go in those roles. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah, man. I mean, I just think, again, even if you're looking a year or two down the road, like you, that's how you want your linebackers to look. You want your linebackers to look like Wesley Besaint and Chase Smith. And you have Keontra Smith that you can mix in there as well. But two long guys, two guys that can cover a lot of ground, two guys that are just extremely physically gifted. Um I think that that look, I think that is more of a Miami linebacker look than maybe a Corey flag, Keontra Smith duo, or even like what we saw in the past, like that would be a significant upgrade from like uh, a Bradley Jennings and Wayman Steve linebacker duo. You know, I think that Wesley Bassane and Chase Smith would be probably one of the best linebackers duos that we've seen here recently in terms, I mean, right. maybe Jack and, and pink and stuff like that. But, you know, I, I would be really excited about a linebacker core of, of Wesley and, Right. Sure. That's how you, I mean, that's how you flip that position group year over year, right? That's like you said, talent, body type, speed. That's what it should look like. So you got nine months, 10 months to get them ready. That's what coaches should be like. That's the type of vision we should be seeing from head coaches. And hopefully Mario Cristobal sees that, right? I would assume he does. Um, so good stuff there. I wanted to pass along Gabby some like, coaching staff type updates. And again, I'm not reporting anything. This is just kind of like stuff I'm hearing. Um, 
I still think there is kind of like a ways to go, right? Because my understanding is Mario Cristobal wants to turn over every rock, uh, wants to be very thorough when it comes to putting his staff together, wants to check every potential name that could be a, a good fit. So, you know, while I do think it's going to happen between now and, you know, obviously, what, January 2nd, 3rd-ish, um, I, I don't know if necessarily we're going to hear a bunch of names like before Christmas, if that makes sense, uh, because I do think he's taking a patient approach. Um, but let's talk about kind of what we do already know. So we do already know Alex Mirabal is going to be the offensive line coach, right? That's Crystal Ball's right-hand man. Um, he's already in Miami. He's already been recruiting for Miami. He just hasn't been officially announced yet. It's going to be a matter of time. Uh, the Twitter sleuths, uh, shout out to them, right? Because <laughs> it was, it, you know, we reported slash passed along that Brian McClendon, the Oregon wide receivers coach slash passing game coordinator was going to come with Cristobal and Mirabal from uh, Oregon. And, you know, since then there was a little buzz, social media buzz that, that uh, you know, Dan Lanning might try and make a run at keeping McClendon, but the Twitter sleuths uncovered, what is it, in the official staff directory for the whole university yeah. that McClendon's already listed, right, Gabby? Yeah, it's something like that. I'm not sure where these people found it, but I guess it's where you can search up any employee at the university. And uh, Brian Edward McClendon is already listed as a, an assistant football coach. So I think that that's a pop, I think that's a positive. Uh, that's some positive news on that front. Right. So and a former IT guy at the university also tweeted that. Yeah, that isn't the case unless they have been already onboarded. Right. So he's already kind of gone through the process of being hired, so to speak. Brian McClendon, it's worth noting, is the interim head coach for Oregon right now for their bowl game, which is on December 29th. So, so will something be announced before that? I don't know. Um, if it hasn't been announced before that, that's probably the reason why. Um, so we know those things. We still think, too, Aaron Feld, the strength coach, going to follow Krista Ball to Miami as well. Yeah. And it's, I think it's worth noting that I can't remember I don't know who exactly reported it, but I saw it on Twitter that David Feely is expected to become this new strength coach at Duke. So right. Right. I think that that's, I think that that's a, a sign that, you know, Mario Cristobal is moving in a different direction. In terms good of for strength. Feely. He did a good yeah. job here. So he did do a good job. Uh, so these are just like, again, I'm not reporting. This is who's going to be hired. This is where, you know, this is, definite, all that stuff. I'm just kind of passing along things I'm hearing. And look, there's probably many, many, many more names I'm not hearing uh, that could be hired, right? So, but what I am hearing, offensive coordinator, I continue to get Kendall Bryle smoke, the offensive coordinator at Arkansas. Um, I think that hire would make sense because it's a similar type of offense that Rhett Lashley was running. Um, you know, they each have their own little tweaks to, to their styles, but uh, big picture wise, it, it would be similar. Um, I also think it's worth noting, right? Nowadays, you have to constantly recruit your own roster, right? You have to prevent guys you want to keep 
from entering the transfer portal. And so to me, a guy like Kendall Griles makes sense because he recruited Jake Garcia heavily in the 2021 cycle, nearly landed him, right? That decision came down to Miami and Arkansas on the early signing day. And I think what Monday of that week, so two days prior to Jake picking Miami, it was kind of looking like he was going to pick Arkansas. Um, so there is that relationship between Jake Garcia and Kendall Bryles. Also to Jakari Brown, uh, Miami's 2022 signee has a good relationship with Kendall Bryles. Kendall Bryles stayed in touch with Jakari uh, for most of that recruiting cycle, even though Jakari was firmly strong in his commitment to Miami. That did not stop Kendall from having a relationship with Jakari. So uh, that makes sense. Obviously, Kendall's going to walk. If he does you know, get hired by Miami, he would walk into Tyler Van Dyke as the starter, which is which would be appealing to any offensive coordinator. So it, it makes a lot of sense in those regards. Also, Kendall, you know, he believes in a balance with his offense because Mario Cristobal is going to want to have an offense that also values running the ball. Kendall Bryles, you look at his offenses wherever he's been, he's put up big rushing numbers as well. So that's that would not be a concern there. Um, defensive coordinator, Again, I, I think there's a lot of names out there to know. I think Mario's doing research on a lot of guys, uh, but some guys that I think have, have, you know, been floated by me. Glenn Schumann, who is Georgia's co-defensive coordinator under Dan Lanning, who just, like you said, took the Oregon job, head coaching job. Uh, but Glenn Schumann is a young, well-respected, up-and-coming, rising star in the college coaching community. He's 31 years old, I believe. Um, very intelligent guy. He, he crossed paths with Mario at Alabama. I think Schumann came up, like he started his, his career as a personnel guy at Alabama. So he understands evaluation. He understands the importance of recruiting, the importance of development, all that stuff. And, and he's, he's also done a good job at Georgia and is well-respected in that program. It will be inter interesting to see what Kirby Smart decides to do for his defensive coordinator. It's probably going to be a, it's probably going to be between either Schumann or Will Muschamp uh, in terms of who's going to be calling plays there in the future. Um, so if it's not Schumann, that gives a guy like Mario Cristobal a chance to, uh, bring him to Miami and have him, you know, take that next step in his career and call plays. Another guy I've heard, Derek Mason, uh, who is currently Auburn's defensive coordinator, did a good job um, this year there. I think he, they held what in the Iron Bowl, they held an explosive Alabama offense to what, 24 points, I think in a game that went into four overtime. So that game specifically was a good job of coordinating a defense by Derek Mason. Derek Mason, also former head coach at Vanderbilt um, and, you know, well-respected recruiter as well. Another name, uh, Chris Partridge, who is the co-defensive coordinator at Ole Miss. Um, this one's interesting to me, right? Because I, I had heard that Mario reached out to Greg Schiano, who Mario has a good relationship with, 
and asked Shiano about Chris Partridge uh, because of that New Jersey connection. Chris Partridge was a respected high school football coach in New Jersey before he made the jump to Michigan player personnel man and then Michigan position coach. He's now at Old Miss. Um, so he reached out to Greg Shiano to find out more about Partridge. I'm also told one reason why Cristobal is highly intrigued by Chris Partridge is because Chris Partridge is one of the best recruiters in the country, uh, regardless of, of uh, you know, coaching position. I've been told that Mario hates battling Chris Partridge on the recruiting trail. So it's one of those situations where game recognize game. And uh, Mario's thinking, man, if I can bring this recruiting beast to my staff, that would be a good thing. And in terms of recruiting potential, Chris Partridge, you know, we've talked about how Mario, yes, he's going to put the wall around South Florida, but he's also going to want to cherry pick top players nationally. Chris Partridge would help in that regard because he, he recruits all over the country. Um, so those are kind of the names at coordinators that I'm hearing. Uh, running back coach, you know, Jawan, Jawan Sider, he's Penn State's head coach or head coach, running back coach. Um, He's always going to be rumored for any opening at one of the Florida schools. I'm not sure he, I mean, he has a good situation at Penn state. He likes working with James Franklin. So it's going to be a tough ass for him to leave, but there is interest there from Miami's point of view. I'm told um, it would probably take a big offer in terms of salary, which Miami can do. Um, but I wouldn't bank on that. I also think Florida is interested in bringing him there. Um, Jim Mastro, who was Mario's running back coach at Oregon. I think there's a chance if let's say Mario, you know, I'm not trying to call a guy like a plan B or plan C, but if I don't think, I do think there's a chance where Mario brings in Jim Mastro, who's respected running backs coach out West. The, the concern there would be Southeast recruiting ties. Um, but again, that was kind of a concern for Rob Likens as well, right? When they brought him in and that has not, that has not panned out, right? Rob Likens has been a very good recruiter in South Florida and a very good developer. So Jim Mastro is respected. Um, he's a name I'm kind of hearing at running backs coach a little bit here and there. Wide receiver coach, we had talked about Brian McClendon, tight ends coach. Um, I think James Coley is a name to know. Uh, he is currently the tight ends coach at Texas A&M, um, former Miami offensive coordinator during the Al Golden years. Uh, James Coley is a name to know because I'm told, you know, look, Alex Mirabal is like Mario's right-hand man, number two guy. I'm told like the next guy that Mario is closest with in the coaching community is James Coley. Uh, the concern there, though, in terms of like, why wouldn't James Coley jump to Miami? I think there's a little hesitancy, you know, like he called plays at Miami. Does it look weird on his resume if he comes back to be a, a tight ends coach? Um, I think to land a guy like James Coley, Mario would have to give him like a co-OC title. And of course, a big pay bump uh, from what he's getting at Texas A&M. And maybe you could have some sort of understanding where, look, we're going to bring in an offensive coordinator 
hypothetically like Kendall Bryles, who hypothetically, if he has success here, um, he's gone in one or two years to be a head coach like Rhett Lashley was. And then you'll be the next man up at offensive coordinator with James Coley, right? That would probably be attractive to him. Um, but James Coley is, is a big time recruiter in South Florida. He's heavily involved now with Shamar Stewart, right, Gabby? Right. Yeah. No, nah, James Cooley is a big part of that Shamar Stewart recruitment. And, um, you know, that could be, that could be a big, a big hire for Miami in terms of just Texas A&M dipping into South Florida. I mean, we've seen them do it recently and I know James Cooley is a big reason why the Aggies have had so much success down here. So that's a name to know at tight ends coach, Tim Brewster. Wait, yeah, really quick. And also, I mean, is, I know, I mean, Stephen Field obviously just hired, I mean, just not hired, just landed Jaleel Skinner. Um, what are you hearing about? You know, I mean, do you think that he's a, obviously a, an option? Still? I know a lot of fans are, you know, high on him or, you know, believe that. I think he's, he's an option. Uh, you know, I think there's other names that Mario's exploring too, though, right? Uh, and look, landing Jaleel Skinner certainly helps Stephen Field's case, and it should help. Um, but I do know as well, like, Mario has talked to Tim Brewster. Uh, the former Florida tight ends coach, former Florida state tight ends coach. Um, you know, is that interest necessarily mutual? I'm not sure, but I do. I know like Tim Brewster really wants to be Miami's tight ends coach. Does Mario want that? That I'm not so sure on, um, but he's certainly a named tight ends coach, whatever you think of Tim Brewster. I also think Bobby Williams, who was Mario's tight ends coach out at Oregon, could be an option. The thinking on Bobby Williams is that he might retire or he might move to like an analyst type of role. So maybe Mario would bring in Bobby Williams as an analyst. Um, and yeah, I think Stephen Field is an option too, right? Um, and if this is just me uh, speaking hypothetically, I think if let's say Mario was going to hire a James Coley. I think it would then make sense to say, Hey, Steven, we still value your uh, ability to recruit. And we want to have you on staff as a recruiting guy, recruiting staffer, because, you know, this Mario Cristobal regime, they're going to put a heavy, heavy emphasis on recruiting. And so it would be a, it would be a different role, but it would still be a role that is highly valued under Mario Cristobal. Um, defensive line coach, you know, the name everyone talks about is Charlie Partridge. I'm, a, I'm on the understanding that Partridge would be highly interested in talking to Cristobal about coming to Miami. But I, from my understanding, Miami has not reached out to Partridge. Um, so... To me, that says Mario maybe has his guy lined up. I don't know who that would be, honestly. Um, a while ago, people have floated names by me like Clint Hurt, former Miami defensive line head or defensive line coach. Um, Bo Davis, who's Texas's defensive line coach. I know Mario highly respects him. Jimmy Brumbaugh, who is who was an analyst with Mario at Oregon this past year. He is a guy that has experience coaching defensive lines at Tennessee, Kentucky, Colorado, Maryland, Syracuse. So he might be a name to know there as well. Um, linebacker coach, I'll admit, is a bit of a mystery to me. Um, I could see a scenario where like Ishmael Aristide is kept. Um, 
as like a young up and coming recruiting guy that, that is cutting his teeth, uh, you know, coaching and developing. Um, he is highly respected. I think in Mario Cristobal's circles, uh, that he trusts and relies on. So, uh, that's a name to watch there. DBs. I will say this. Um, if I, I feel, I'm not saying this is going to happen, but I do think there's a better chance that Travaris Robinson stays than I felt a week ago, if that makes sense. Um, I, I don't think he would have stayed, period, if Manny Diaz had been retained. Um, and there was, there, is, there was some sort of beef in the past between Mario and Travaris on the recruiting trail. But I think it makes sense for both parties to bury that beef and just kind of recognize, hey, we were just two alphas going at it on the recruiting trail. We care that much about recruiting. Um, let's bury that. And because in my opinion, where things are right now, it makes sense for both of them to work together at Miami. Um, I think if Florida was still open, that would have been a situation that Travaris chased that T-Rob chased, but they hired Corey Raymond. So that kind of closed that door. I think Georgia might be a situation to note, to watch there. Let's say they, they promote Will Muschamp to defensive coordinator. We all know that Muschamp and T-Rob are super tight. Right. And uh, would he try and bring T-Rob to Georgia then? I think that would be something to watch. Uh, corner coach, I keep hearing Rod Chance, who is the corner coach at Oregon. He has that STA connection. Um, which is always a good thing, right? To, to have that connection. Yeah, that's huge. Uh, so he's kind of a name to know there. I think DVD is a name to know there too. Um, and again, if, if DVD is not necessarily retained as the coroner's coach, similar to Stephen Field, I think there is big time value in trying to keep him on, on staff in, in the recruiting staff role. Um, so I mean, again, would those guys want to do that? That's up to them, right? I think both those guys would prefer to be on field. Um, but they definitely have value with their recruiting abilities. So those are just kind of the some of the names I, I've picked up here and there. Again, there's holes. Like, I don't feel confident about what, what might happen at linebacker coach. Uh, defensive line is honestly still kind of a mystery to me. So... Uh, again, I think there's still plenty of time. I think a lot of these coaches are still going to be coaching in their bowl games. Um, so that affects the timeline and Mario Cristobal is going to take his time. So that's kind of where I'm at. I don't know. Do you have any questions here, Gabby, about any of these names? I don't, I might have a hot take, but I might save that for another day. So we'll do, see. Do you have any opinions on like OC and DC that, that intrigues you? I mean, none in particular, honestly, like, I mean, like, do you I'm not, like Bryles? I do like Bryles. I, okay. I do like Bryles. And that's why I probably don't really have an opinion. Cause I kind of, I feel like that's the name being rumored most. And if that is the name, I think I'd be really happy with that. Um, defensive coordinator, like a Glenn Schumann type, again, a guy that grew up so, sort of through that Alabama system of coaching has obviously been at Georgia now under Kirby smart. Those are two programs that I want to coach from, you know, like, I think those are, those are right. two programs that are good developers of young coaches obviously we've seen what nick saban has been able to do in terms of just producing and head Crystal coaches Ball knows them from right from his alabama days so right. 
I think it just works. Like, like a name like Schumann would, would be really, really, uh, you know, exciting to me given the type of football like he's watched and what he sort of, again, just kind of climbed the ladder being around the atmosphere, everything. I think he knows, he knows what it takes to get it done because he's been a part of two major programs that get it done at a higher level than potentially anybody else, especially right now. So, um, I would be pretty pumped about a Glenn Schumann type and Derek Mason. I can maybe get on board a couple others. Other those guys, I'd probably have to do more homework on, on Partridge, but um, I would be stoked about a Glenn Schumann type. I have been told, I mean, who knows what this means, right? But I have been told Mario wants to make a quote unquote splashy hire at both those coordinator spots. Right. So again, who knows what splashy means, but uh, you know, they have the money to go get quality coaches with track records of success. So, uh, and Mario has a history of, I, you know, when he was at FIU, he did a really good job of identifying coordinators. Uh, James Coley was a coordinator under him. Todd Orlando was a coordinator under him. Uh, Scott Satterfield was a coordinator and Jeff Collins was a coordinator. So, um, you know, Satterfield and Collins have gone on to be head coaches at power five programs. Orlando was at what Texas and USC as a defensive coordinator and Coley was a caller, a play caller at, at Miami and Georgia. And, uh, I think, you know, long-term wise Cole, James Coley will get a head coaching shot somewhere, you know, in the next decade. So Mario Cristobal is good at identifying coaching talent as well. So let's get out of here on that. We rambled a lot. Appreciate everyone here. For listening as always i'm not sure gabby if we're gonna do another podcast here before christmas we might just kind of chill out let's say if i mean if miami hires or announces a coordinator right we'll hop on and, and, and do a reaction pod That's to that good to me, but outside of that let's chill wish everyone a happy holidays no matter what holiday you you do celebrate um hopefully uh you know You've either already enjoyed time with your family or are about to enjoy time with your family and loved ones. And uh, until next time, take care. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles. Now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes!